Nick, are we peppier today? I think this is slightly sexier. Hello, John. Hello, Nick. Last week, or last time we were speaking about um, getting some money and getting a budget together, the easiest way we think, I think, of getting that budget together or getting the money to come in once you've got the budget together is going to ask people for money. Let's go and ask, let's go and cap in hand and go begging. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about this week. Uh, so we're talking about sponsorship, we're talking about merch, we're talking about any other things we can wait, community events, any other ways we can get money through the gates before people start paying for us. So how did we start, John? Where do we start with this? Um, yeah, so you highlighted the, the basically we kind of put four, um, four types of fundraising. So uh, before I get into that, Nick, I, I need to apologize if anybody was listening. I said last, last time we talked that our, our initial budget was 30000 and we ended up at forty six. I checked the figures and our initial budget was actually forty, and we ended up at 46. So we were not as far out as we thought we were a okay. little closer so um let's go down that rabbit hole in one second john what was what did we miscalculate or underestimate um it was just some of the things that we decided to do um it, it was it was no not necessarily one line item of anything right. that surprised us it was just you know the the budget as we talked about is it's fictional because we don't know if we're going to have that money we're just trying to figure out what we think we're going to need and so those items became just sort of, um, you know, Hey, we need to, we need to go get this. We need to take care of this. or we need to get, uh, we need to get water for this. We need to get, you know, some of those things just kind of add up. Um, mm-hmm. so it wasn't, it wasn't really anything drastic. Right. It was just lack of experience that we were just off. Nothing, right. nothing major. Surprising, so now I guess. All right. Yeah. Then. So yes, let's talk about sponsorship. How did we get the ball rolling? So, so, okay. So we split it up. Uh, we knew we were going to, we wanted to raise money through sponsorships and donations. We want to raise money through merchandise sales. Uh, we found and find that to be a powerful tool. Um, tickets and merchandise, or I'm sorry, tickets and uh, memberships, um, community events like tournaments and camps and things that we can do to, to engage people in the community. And then um, kind of the fifth thing is player fees. And I'll touch on that later. But certainly the crux of our fundraising um, came from sponsorships. So we didn't know how to do that. We really had very little experience in our professional lives of doing that. So the first thing we did was, as, as you've seen, Nick, we generally know a lot of people in a lot of different businesses. So you start out and make a list of friends and family and cousins and uncles and friends of friends that you feel that you can go pitch this idea for this, this club that we talked a couple of weeks ago. Remember Steve said, you're going to find out how well liked you really are when you go start asking people to write you a check. And, and we had a lot of success, but I think, most of our success came from our in-person meetings we were able to get. So I, I always encourage people. It's a lot harder to say no to somebody that's sitting in front of you. And sometimes my passion for the club doesn't come across in an email or in a phone call where I think I'm, I'm assuming what people think, but if I can sit and tell you how great this club is and, and at this time, 
you know, if we're going back to year one, we didn't have a club. We didn't have a team. We didn't have anything. It was all a dream of what we thought this club could become. And when you speak with that passion and here's why it's going to work, uh, that, that helps get you over the line a lot quicker. So did it just fall? You said it was we. I wasn't involved at this point anyway. But was it, did it fall upon you or did like people stand up and say, I want to be the salesperson or? Others certainly chimed in uh, and joined when necessary. Uh, like I said, uh, we talked about the, the bar that we went to very early on. Colby and I went together, um, went and met with a bank, and there was three of us that went. Uh, Steve and Jenny and I went and met with, with a bank. Uh, so you kind of just do your best to be organized, but you have to also kind of have a, a primary person that manages because uh, when you get to sponsorships and we'll talk about the different levels and different packages and things, you got to be consistent because I can't go promise somebody the Jersey if somebody else is also promising somebody the Jersey. Mm -hmm. So you have to just kind of, it was a lot of constant communication as we were going through this. How did it, was it all kept a log of? We just talked spreadsheets or did you have something far more advanced? Oh, absolutely. The most advanced technology you could get your hands on. We <laughs> used a uh, Google sheet and then, you know, very, a very poor man's uh, CRM so that we could just basically note that we contacted or we'd emailed them or we'd had a phone call or we'd had this or we'd had that. Um, so we started, yeah, cause we didn't, we didn't know what we were growing to. We didn't, we just knew we needed a central place. So, you know, we had a Google drive folder started and we, um, just kind of dumped things into it. So, uh, but one of the things that was, I think was a, is good for people to know if they've never gone business to business, friend to friend, asking for support, prepare yourselves sort of like a job interview, I think. I went to the ones first that were, I felt were higher likelihood of success, you know, the easier sells. Uh, somebody told me to do that. I didn't think of it on my own, but you go to the easy ones and because we had nothing really to show, we had, we put some documents together. Basically we didn't have anything to show. We had no real product. Again, we, we had a logo and, you know, still fine tuning. I think it probably by the time we really started chasing sponsors we had a home facility but they're going to ask you all those questions like where are you going to find players uh who are you going to play against why do you think people will show up to the games and those kinds of questions you have to be well versed in your answers and in in my case in our case i had all that stuff off the tip of my tongue and it was all true and it all proved to be true which is even better but um you're, you're going to get you're going to get tested with some of these questions and it's good to have the practice of sort of the, uh, the easy ones first so that you can get some success and get some confidence and, mm -hmm. um, and give you some practice going into those tougher cells. And did you just think like, it's the people I know they're going to be the easiest ones. So I'm going to tap up the guy down the street who has his own garage or was it the ones that are, this is the $50 package. How did you determine what an easy sell was? Yeah, you, I guess I, like anything, if, if you start with uh, friends or friends that own businesses or friends that can have or friends that have a background in soccer or family members or start with people that you're comfortable speaking to anyway, mm -hmm. I, I found that to be, even if they didn't know anything about soccer, but I just, I, I had a good relationship with somebody. 
it didn't even have to be a formal pitch that, Hey, I want you to be a whatever sponsor. Mm-hmm. But what, what happened a lot, the, probably the best practice of all of it was when you're uh, sitting around the neighbor's pool and somebody goes, how's the soccer thing going? Cause you've mentioned it and somebody else is there and they go, what are you doing? And they go, Oh, well, they're doing this semi pro club. And now you're doing like this casual soft pitch explaining what and why and how to somebody that really it's not going to turn into a business transaction, but just making them aware of it. And you kind of, you kind of get that groove where you understand Mm. the questions that the people have and stuff. So um, yeah, we certainly, we prepared a little bit more for some of the bigger ones that we were trying to connect with that we thought would support um, a little higher dollar amount, but we also tried to put together some things. So um, I'll, I'll jump into that because it's, this is a good spot. So we had a, a little business perspective that, that Colby put together and we put five different sponsorship packages together and um, it ranged anywhere from $500 up to $50,000 because we decided if you don't ask for a lot, you just never know. Somebody might go, yeah, I'll do that. Obviously, at every level, you got different things, whether it's a number of season tickets, different brand exposure through whether it's the jersey or the website or game day or programs or starting lineup or whatever. So obviously, there was varying degrees of that. Um, in our experience, that first run at it, um, I, I found it, in hindsight, to look back, it, it was very cluttered. And it was hard to keep track then because we don't, you know, a, a professional club has account managers and they have one person that deals with you as a sponsor to make sure that you're, you're mm-hmm. happy. At least I think that's how pro clubs <laughs> do it. I really don't know. Um, so it turned into like, okay, now I have, I have this deal with this guy, this deal with this guy, this deal with these guys, this deal with these guys. And now I have to make sure that I fulfill everything that we committed, right? I have to make sure that we have a banner. I have to make sure they get their tickets. I have to make sure we're communicating whatever else is part of their package. And it, it almost became more like, man, I just created a, yes, it was great that we got a few bucks, but it created so many hours of, of, you know, keeping organized administratively that it was very cluttered. And um, so I ended up making a change going into year two, but, but I I think it was a great thing to do because we didn't know what we were doing and we thought, well, let's try it. And, like everything we've done, we learn from it, tweak it, and come back again the next year. So what did what did you change in year two? In year two, I uh, scrapped that whole plan, and I we basically just went an a la carte menu of how do you want to support us? And we started at a low dollar amount for um, a web, you know, you want to be on our website. It's 25 bucks or whatever it was. I, I don't even remember the numbers now, but um, as, as I listed every possible place we could put your business logo, I kind of, I just did it again in a spreadsheet and I kind of just tweaked and I thought, well, this one would get you a whole bunch of exposure. So it's worth more money. And we tried to make it where if somebody looked at that, I think we had 26 or 28 different line items that you could choose from. So I could be the program sponsor and my logo goes on all the game day programs, or I could be the Jersey sponsor. And obviously I go on the jerseys 
and those the dollar amounts vary. But if somebody says, I want to do that, that, and that, they have that option. And certain things like putting a banner up at the field, we really, we have a big enough facility that there's no limit. We can, every business in town can do that and we can find room for all those banners. So as things then, you know, the Jersey, you can't have more than one primary front of the Jersey sponsor. So when somebody committed to that, that gets crossed off the list and it's not mm-hmm. available anymore. So it kind of became like a first come first serve, but we yeah. had that wide range of, of very low increments of, of money where I can get in for 25 or 50 bucks or I can get in for $10,000. Yeah. And we kind of had a range all the way in between for people to customize what they wanted, what worked best for their business. Was anything deemed off limits or were, was literally every space of every inch of the ground, every inch of the club up for sale? Uh, no, we, we were, we always say if, if you as a business or as a, if a family wanted to do something, if you have an idea, this is your club. You know, you come to us with your idea that, hey, I want to do this promo at home games. We have a, a Papa John's restaurant in town this coming year. They were going to do a uh, raffle. I can't remember how we were going to set it up because obviously the season got canceled, but we were going to do something where every goal we scored, um, they would do a drawing for free cheese sticks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't an exchange of, of money, but it was an exchange of service and, and added some value or would have potentially added some value to, to some people in, in the stadium, you know, on game day. So mm-hmm. from there. I remember last season, I don't know what the game was, but we were all our all our corner kicks were sponsored by Sam Adams or drink a, have a drink of Sam Adams at the local bar or whatever it was. Uh, um, and one game we had went through a spate of just corner after corner after corner after corner. And I was reading that script and saying, another Sam Adams corner kick over. And it occurred to me, are we just saying go and drink Sam Adams or are they paying us for every corner that we say Sam Adams? It, yeah, they they did they did give us a check and yes, I tried I th- the same thing. I thought, well, a goal sponsor, a corner kick, goal kick, penalty kick, you could do all kinds of it. And then that's another thing you think, well, how many of these are we going to have in a game? I don't know. Yeah. You know, we might have no goals. So what's the value to that business? Well, mm-hmm. nothing. But what if we have seven next week? What if we're playing Dubuque and we have 13? <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. So um, yeah, I, and that's what I mean. I played with the values. I tried to figure out what I thought the exposure was going to be. And it was a, it was a best guess on yeah. on what we could do for those businesses. But the other nice thing about doing it the a la carte way was, um, if somebody says, "Hey, I want to be the starting lineup sponsor," Northern Rehab was our starting lineup sponsor last year. Would have been again this year. They will be next year. Um, but that became a very easy thing. That hey, every game, coach sends the lineup to Jen, who does graphics, and Jen gets the logo to you, and you get it put out on social media, and we we it, we're, we've met our obligation in that way to Northern Rehab for that for that arrangement. So it doesn't become a very um, task heavy thing to make sure. Well, did they get A, B, C, D, and E? No, they they wanted this and they got this, mm-hmm. and we gave it to them. And then yeah. I think it's easier to keep people happy and and you know because there is a lot to keep track of. So you want to make sure you don't overcommit to. I'm going to give you 65 things if you give us $300 because 
I, I tell you what, I'd rather write you a check for 300 and not have to do 65 things. But I think that's important thing that people try to balance that when they go in, like keep the expectations reasonable for you and your staff or whoever's going to be dealing with it. Because if you, if you strike gold and you have 50 sponsors, that can be very complex to mm. keep up with. And all the while you're trying to figure out if the team bus is going to show up. Just ballpark figure, how many sponsors did we have year one? Year one and year two were actually eerily close. I think we ended up with 27 businesses the first year. And we raised um, about right at 25, just just under 26,000 in cash, basically. Right. Uh-huh. Um, the following year, we actually had uh, like two or three less sponsors. Uh, or do we have three more sponsors, but we raised like a thousand less. So it was, it was very consistent. A lot of them were um, rollover, you know, cause it's easy. It's easy. If they buy in, if they buy into our, our dream of what this club is going to become when there is no club. And then we went out and we executed, I think, I think very well for our first run. I think we executed the overall plan. I don't think we, I don't think we shorted anybody, you know, any of our sponsors on what we told them we would provide for them. I think everybody had a good experience. Um, it's much easier to get them to say, well, yeah, I'll do it again because we did what we said we were going to do. So I think that was, that was one of the big things for us as we continue to grow. And then, yeah, there's always some that kind of fade away. And then there's, there's some new ones that hear about you late because it's, as you know, Nick, we talk about this every day. It's very hard for everybody in your community to know about you without a big, huge marketing budget. And we don't have that. So you're always going to have a couple new ones. There's always going to be somebody around the corner that, man, I, I, I love it. I watch every su- Sunday morning. I watch Premier League. I'd love to come watch. Um, there's always somebody else there that you can get in a community like ours. So really, the, the, that's where it really makes it limitless. I think the, the, the work that we have to do and continue to do is ultimately we need, we need followers. We need people butts in the seats at the games. We need people engaging with us when we have events. We need, um, we, we just need to continue to grow and grow that exposure. But I think people, when they know that, wow, you get four or 500 fans local right here in town and I can get in on some sort of action for a couple hundred bucks to put a banner up. That's, uh, that's a lot easier to swallow than I want to go sponsor at the Chicago fire for whatever amount of money, you know, there's, the exposure is less, but so is the cost. And a mom and pop shop in town can now afford to be part of the club, which is what we really want. We want everybody to be a part of it. Yeah. Okay, we're going to pause here for an advert, and we'll be back in 30 seconds. Okay, we're back. Did we have a pitch deck, I guess, created at any point that we could just sort of template ours out and swap out company A for company B? Um, we had a, we had a nice, um, it was Colby created a beautiful eight page, I think it was eight pages or 11 pages. Um, and it explained what we were, um, had some nice pictures of the community in it. It was very well done. Um, it was kind of a generic. It didn't, it didn't so much say, Hey, I'm meeting with Nick today. Nick, I think this would be great for your business, you know, because, I don't know your budget. I don't really know what trips your trigger as far as, Hey, I'm on Facebook a lot, but I'm not on Twitter. Well, do you want to mm-hmm. be, a, you want to be the background sponsor on our Facebook page? 
because I'll, I'll, I'll let you do that if that's something that's important to you. So we always attacked it more of a, a general, a general thing. If I knew, but, if I knew who I was meeting with and I felt there was something, I wouldn't necessarily recreate a document to do it, but I certainly would say this is, this would make sense for you, or maybe this promo would make sense for you. And uh, I think that's something Rom that Rom's our director of sales now, and he's starting to take the lead on a lot of these conversations, especially the the cold calling of businesses. And um, I think that's one of the things he's trying to work out too, is just what, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to figure out something really cool that might catch their attention. What, you know, what's yeah. the hook on this that, that they can benefit. It isn't just, we're not about cash and checks. Like we legitimately want people to get engaged and be part of the club. And we want them to get excited about it. You know, when we were able to do, do the coffee thing, and we could talk about coffee and beer too. We didn't even have that on our list. But when, <laughs> when we, when we make a, an agreement with somebody for a product that we can cross market, you know, they're excited about it now because it's, they've got somebody helping them on the marketing side. So uh, as we grow our fan base and supporters and just our, our ability to influence within our community, I think it's going to open up even more doors. Do you want me to talk about jerseys? Cause that thing's kind of, I tried something and it worked pretty well. And I think it, it would be beneficial to others. Go on. Then. We had a commitment with um, a, a kit provider it was a, a two year uh, arrangement so we were going to use the same uniforms for two years. So I, you probably know where I'm going with this. Anybody that wanted their logo on the jersey, it was a two-year commitment up front because you're going to get it for two years anyway. And I liked having a kickstart for the following season. I, I liked already knowing we were going to get a second check from those companies. Again, very clean and easy. Once we print you on the jersey, we've met our obligation to you. You know, I think yeah. that's that's a clean transaction. So, um, requesting a, a multi-year commitment for the jersey is a really good way that you can maybe offset the cost. Where instead of asking for a hundred thousand dollars for the front of the jersey, you go, "Hey, I'll take thirty, but I want it for thirty a year for three years." So you can spread out your commitment to us, and you've got it locked up. And those are obviously exaggerated numbers. But it was a very good way for us to know that we had, we don't know what we're going to end up with at the end of the year, right? Going into year one, we think we're going to do this. We're going to spend, we're going to spend a different amount, plus or minus. And I want to know next year, I've got the commitment of X amount of dollars. So that's a trick that made sense logistically with us having to use the same uniforms for two years. And it also, I mean, that obviously saves some money that, we're not buying uniforms in year two. So our costs kind of fluctuated, but that's a really good trick that I would advise anybody. Those Jersey partners, we did um, front two sleeves and the back. And it, it, that was very helpful going into year two to have yeah. those rollover sponsors. Was the, did the league at the time put any stipulation on how many sponsors you could have on a Jersey? Because anyone who's watched League or MX knows, you know, their, their, their rules are slightly more flexible than other leagues in the world. The the league at the time did not. And as I'm involved with the Midwest Premier League, I would never advocate for a rule that limited a club's ability to create revenue opportunities. Mm -hmm. Because 
I don't want anybody to fail. We're, we're doing these podcasts to help people start, change their plans, and ultimately succeed so that clubs can be around. For a league to ever limit that, I think at, at the amateur level is extremely short-sighted. I mean, they are, they are limited in the UK, for sure. You know, you've got a front and a sleeve. You don't even get the back. So, but anyway, that's a, for another day. Or so that, that's, that's true at the, at, at like in the non-league levels, at the amateur level, at the, in the professional ranks. So where is that all levels? Yeah, certainly in the non-league. That's my, I, you know, it's been so long since I've seen a Premier League game. I don't actually know. Is there anything that springs to mind that sort of, you said you reached out to the, to the easy sales, the low hanging fruit first. Once you've exhausted that, is there anything that springs to mind that sort of was a fail-safe for convincing strangers or bigger sales of the viability of what you were offering them? Uh, I don't think there was any, there was no magic button. We, like I said, I really had a lot of success if I could get an in-person meeting. Mm -hmm. That was the thing that, that helped. Um, One thing that I also, in those early months and years, is I I don't know I don't know why I did this, but I get in these spots where I'd be sitting on my couch watching a animated film with the children that I'd seen four hundred times. So I would shoot a text to somebody, or I would write up a quick email, or whatever. Not always sponsorship related, but certainly connecting with people because every connection mm-hmm. potentially leads to an opportunity. So. Um, that, that was one of the things that I was always pushing every moment I had free, you know, you, you just, you got to keep trying to create those opportunities or, and, and that's why you keep track. Even if it's on a spreadsheet, even if it's on a notebook, Hey, I reached out to these guys two weeks ago. I didn't hear back. I gotta, I gotta be persistent and I have to follow up and maybe I've emailed them. Now I'm going to follow up with a phone call or maybe I had a phone call and they were going to get back to me. Now I'm going to follow up with an email. Maybe I'm going to drop into their office back when you could actually go places. So, <laughs> you know, it really was a grassroots effort to uh, just do it. Your question, no magic bullet. Um, you just believe in what you're doing. And I, I do and did. And my, as I said before, a couple of weeks ago or whatever, if you don't want to support it, I understand. And my goal is for this thing to grow to the point where you can't ignore us someday down the road. Yeah. Because you're, you're not going to be a cool kid if you're not part of DKCU. So mm-hmm. it, I use those as, as motivators and there's always something, there's always something you can learn from every, every job interview, you learn something about yourself. You learn something about what you like, don't like something you can improve. So every meeting is a good meeting because you can learn something from it. We spoke about shirt sponsorship. And if I'd organized this properly, that would have been a nice leap segue into merch, right? I think we've covered sponsorship as best we can. Merch is the most obvious and the sexiest way of getting money in. How did we start there? Um, we, uh, we sort of lucked into a relationship with a local vendor who, who did custom merchandise out of her house. And the thing that tipped the scales in her favor was that uh, not only did she live 15 minutes from me, so that was convenient to go pick up something, but she did one-off shipping. So she didn't, you order something, a, a, a sweatshirt off our website, she gets the order, she prints it, and she ships it to you, and then she sends us a bill. And we don't have, like, I, 
despise large inventories because if you're going to go tie up as you find with shirts and sweatshirts and things where you have to have multiple colors and styles and sizes, men's and women's, you can quickly eat up a few thousand dollars in inventory. And the reality is I don't know if somebody's ever going to buy that size small shirt. I don't know if anybody's going to buy that three X that people told me they wanted, but is anybody going to buy it? I don't know. And you can end up with a lot of wasted inventory that way where whatever profits you had go into, Oh, well, we got this unused inventory. Now we're going to wholesale it. We're going to give it away for five bucks. We're going to use it for giveaways, but you still paid for it. And you still had that outflow of cash up front. So one-off shipping from, from our vendor was, uh, it was a real positive push for us. And she was able to do things like mugs and obviously shirts are easy, but tote bags, backpacks, she did embroidery. She gave us a, a great little kickstart. And um, I take a picture and send it to her. I go, can you make me up two of these? This size and this size? Yeah, no problem. And she'd drop it off at my house. <laughs> or she'd mail it to whoever I told her to mail it to. So it, it, we didn't have to carry large inventories. We were able to mark it up appropriately. Look at our costs, mark it up. So we make a couple dollars on every, um, every item. And then it's done. You know, we're yeah. not, we're not we're not having large bins of shirts in the basement and a dining room full of hoodies and all these crazy things. So if you can find a, a vendor, find a vendor that'll do one-off shipping for you. You can hit up Momo. Morgan is our director of operations and she's been setting up all our merch. We found a, a new vendor because our previous one is um, taking some time away to deal with some other things. So we've got a vendor that she's working with. I have never dealt with them, but it seems to be a similar type of situation. So that's the huge takeaway that I've picked up from how you guys set it up was that was spend as little as you can upfront and shop around, right? Just because just because someone else did it this way doesn't mean that's the way to do it. All the recognized, reputable wholesalers and suppliers that we we could all roll off the tongue, they may not be the place to go because you only need six of a thing. 101 reasons not to use them and don't, don't be strong-armed into using them. Find your own. And again, it's about keeping it local as well, right? Put money into the local community and the local community will put money back to you. Yep, absolutely. And and when you when your only risk in a, let's say we come up with a new shirt design. I came up with a shirt that says undefeated in Iowa. I printed that or I sent that to her. I had her print one for me because I wanted it so I could antagonize Cliff. And it, it costs us nothing. It, you know what I mean? I paid her for the shirt. I, we could have put those on our web store and let people buy them. If nobody buys one, it didn't cost, it was a design. It's a digital image. We, we put it on the website that takes a few minutes and it's done. And if you don't sell one for three years, it's not sitting in a box at your house. And mm -hmm. I would absolutely uh, advocate for finding a one-off shipping option. Game day is different. You're going to want to have a little bit of inventory. If you got a good crowd, a lot of times people come to a game and like anything you want to, they want to buy something for their kids or they want to whatever, but um, be, use your resources there and find a smarter way to handle merch because it can, it can be a big debt or for us, I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I mean, I bet you we did uh, two to $3,000 in profit from our merchandise in the first year because wow. everybody wanted a shirt and yeah. It doesn't take long to, if you can make 10 bucks a shirt or whatever, it doesn't take long to chip away at 
you know, and that's, that's, if you don't offer something for people to buy, how can they support you? You know? So, mm-hmm. so th- yeah, that's, that's the key thing on merch that I, I've always come up with. What else can we do to get money in? Okay. So the, 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 probably the two, the two big things we should touch on before we let everybody go back. Um, we, we wanted to do community events, camps, tournaments, things like that. So we do in a normal year, we do a goalkeeper camp, youth goalkeeper camp. Uh, we do a futsal tournament in February. Uh, we did street soccer in 2019 that we weren't able to do this year. Uh, we try to make these events that people see us out in the community. They see us trying to improve, you know, youth soccer players. I mean, those are our future players. That's basically it's our academy, right? When we do a camp, that's academy. So uh, we utilize those for fundraisers. Uh, we 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 just try to engage people so they know what we're about. They know who we are. They recognize our faces. They get something out of the club. And the club can then, you know, we have to make a little money so that we can exist. None of these things are, we don't have like a big gala banquet that we raise all the whole year's money in one night. That doesn't happen. It is very much, let's see if we can make three or $400 in this event. Let's make $600 in this event. Let's make $700 in this event. And at the end of the year, you've impacted a lot of people and you've raised hopefully enough money to be back to break even every year. So um, I think that's a great way to go about it. I obviously those, hopefully those kids and those parents turn into supporters on game night. That can also be tricky when you're trying to, you got a four month season and then we try to fill eight months with camps and tournaments and things. And then in November we say, don't forget us. We start playing in six months. A, A silver lining from all this COVID stuff has, is that it's shown us that we don't have to do, physical stuff either we don't have to be present to do a fundraiser because we've done the fun run and we've done the the covid match and i'm sure we'll come up with other ideas but money comes in various forms it doesn't have to be handed over physically i guess is my takeaway here that be creative with what you can do you know and you're not alone in wanting money to come into your club right now and just because covid goes away doesn't mean that you, you have to go back to doing things the old way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think you have to be, you have to be clever. I mean, uh, we'll get into staff down the road, but that's why we have our advisory board. And it's, um, as we continue to develop as a club, it, that's where we need to have that um, brainstorming session, that think tank of, okay, you come up with a, you come up with some sort of a community fundraising initiative come back to us in a month, come up with some, mm-hmm. you know, and pitch it to the group. And uh, all this stuff, again, none of this stuff have we talked about running a, a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-2 or anything about actual soccer. The whole club, it, there's so much behind the scenes outside of what happens between those white lines. And it's just, yeah. it's incredible. The soccer is 90 minutes of a week. You've got however many other minutes there are to fill. The soccer should be the most important thing that the soccer club does and the last thing that you think about. That's a perfect way to say it. What else? There was a, we've done the community partnerships and the, well, the community events, but we've also partnered with local businesses, right? Yep. We've done, um, obviously, we, we partnered with the brewery. Um, I'll admit that idea sort of came from the bug eaters. Um, yeah, we met with the, the, at the time, there was only one local brew house 
uh, in DeKalb County. And um, we got a meeting with them and sat down and said, hey, we want to we want to do a beer and we want we will market it for you to our supporters. And admittedly, I will drink a lot of it and give us a percentage of sales to keep us relevant and in, in existence. And it was a it was a half a page agreement. And 815 United has been a wonderful um, financial piece to the club. Not only, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's a conversation starter too. When I go to go to the neighbor's house with a four pack or four, four packs or however many four packs I take. Oh, you guys have your own beer. Yeah, totally. And to me, that's a very simple, not, it's not a simple setup, but it's a very simple tie in for any soccer club at this level, right? Is that you've got brew houses all over the country. You've got clubs that are looking for tie-ins and you've got a young alcoholic fan base to be flippant. Why wouldn't you? It's a, it's just the ideal marriage. And I'm surprised more clubs don't do it. But yeah. 815 Brew United wasn't the only thing we did, correct? Uh, yeah. When then And then uh, last year, actually this year, this has been a long year, uh, in about February, we partnered with um, Barb City Roasters. Is a, a little. They don't even have a storefront where you. It's not a coffee shop where you go in and get coffee, and they're. But they they do. I don't know enough about coffee. They roast their own beans and they do different really cool coffee stuff. And I was in there for an hour and a half and had a bunch drank a bunch of coffee. And they are as passionate about coffee as we are about soccer. And I said, well, there's no reason that when we're watching a Premier League game or an FA Cup game on a Saturday morning, which is what us Americans do, there's no reason we're, we're drinking coffee that doesn't support the club. If we're going to drink beer at night, we might as well drink our own coffee in the morning. So, um, so that it's, yeah, I mean, I, it's not rocket science. You duplicate, duplicated the agreement with, uh, for the beer and do it with coffee and, it's another revenue stream that, you know, as we grow, it has exponential potential. Is that, mm-hmm. is that how you say that? Exponential potential? So I say it. Sure. It's how the queen says it. So let's, let's run with it. That's good enough. Yeah. That, no, we've done all sorts of those events. Uh, probably the other piece that we should touch on um, is the tickets and merchandise or uh, memberships. I keep saying merch. Okay. Yeah. That would help. Um, so, so again, what is, what is it worth? If I came to Nick and said, hey, will you buy season tickets to this thing? Well, what is it? How many games are there? Well, I don't know yet. Um, you know, we charge $5 for a walk-up ticket. We want it to be extremely affordable. And we've had people ask us why we do it so cheap. But uh, I'd rather I'd rather a family of four can come for 20 bucks than try to get $38 out of them or whatever. And now they're not coming. So... Uh, we've we've kept it at five bucks all along. I think the first year we did season tickets were fifty dollars, and then we also, again, trying to be very flexible. We had a family pass where you got two adults and three kids. We had um, then we had kids season tickets that were only twenty five bucks, and we did all kinds of crazy things. And we had uh, two hundred and fifty four season ticket holders the first year. Um, I don't know why I, I was the, the person that decided this. I don't know why I tweaked it going into year two, but we didn't have quite as many the second year. But when you go, you know, you're, especially your first year, I'm, I'm over here doing all these p- 
pitches for larger amounts of money to businesses, anybody in my phone got a text message about season tickets. Like, hey, don't forget to pick up your season tickets. So we, we again, another thing, we leveraged family and friends and made them believe in us. And fortunately, they supported us. And that that was a lot of money coming in. You know, that's committed money right away before the season starts mm-hmm. where you don't worry about a rain day where nobody shows up because it's nasty out. The thing that I loved that you did as well was that you didn't mail out those season tickets, right? They were available to collect on the door, match one. That's a good point. I forgot we did that. So, yeah, and we did um, season ticket holder scarves, and those also had to be picked up at the match. And it didn't have to be the first match, but we kept a list. And as people came to games, game one, game two, game three, whatever, they got their season ticket and they got their scarf because – I thought, again, I'm a dreamer. I thought, well, this will put everybody in a room at that game in the stadium and everybody's got their scarves on day one. And that's going to be just a beautiful sight. So uh, that was a just a trick we tried. It worked okay. It worked, pretty, yeah, it worked really well. Yeah. Okay. Um, without going into the details, what do you think is so far has been the most successful money-raising escapade that we've had? Honestly, Nick, I don't think there's anything that's been that's been great. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything that's been the the standout. I think it's been accumulation of of clever ideas. I think we've mm-hmm. tried a lot of different things. Some things have worked really well. Some things have not worked really well. Um, I think there's been things that we've tried that I've overcomplicated the thought process. And I think there's been things that we've either not allowed enough time or allowed too much time where people don't jump on the opportunity. Um, you know, I mean, everything, I think it's, I think it's, you have to be doing something. And I, when we've done some of the cool things we've done, um, different merchandise sales, right. Where we go, Hey, we're selling these shirts a little bit cheap or we're doing the whatever. When you put a, a short time limit, we got a couple, hey, we're doing a 15% off sale for two weeks. You you kind of always have some money coming in. And I think that's like any bit, unfortunately we have to run a business. If somebody just wanted to pay for all this, I wouldn't have to go through all this aggravation. But as a community club, it's going to take effort by a lot of us, you, me, and several others that we have to be digging in all the time. And if you don't have people walking in your door figuratively that they're not checking your website, listening to your podcast, uh, following you, participating in your virtual five Ks, then the, then the community is not engaged anyway. So it's our job to continue to push people or pull people to the club where they believe in our mission, what we're doing and the good things we do in the community. And then the money kind of follows that, right? When people are engaged in the club, they'll support it or they'll show up at a game. And so, and, and if you give them a good experience game day, another topic, if you give them a good experience, you know, word of mouth is the best marketing there is. And if we can make people feel good and want to be part of it, then I don't think the money will ever be an issue if we're willing to put in the work, even if we, if it's, if it's 50 bucks here, a hundred dollars here, $200 here, I think at the end of the year, we're going to be okay. It'd be great if we just if we had that one gala dinner, right? That would be a, a great thing. You know, we'd guaranteed to get fifty grand in. The counter to that is that it's a hell of a lot of work 
to begin with and you're putting all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. I think if you, get, as you say, get 50 bucks, 100 bucks from this event, this event, this event, and you can spread the work across people, you're always being prominent in the community. And if something fails, there's plan B just around the corner. Yeah, I, I actually had this talk with uh, Brian, our treasurer, one time. I said, man, what if we could get what if we could get somebody that said, hey, listen, you keep doing what you're doing, but whatever you're short, I'll make up the difference. So it wasn't like, you don't have to give us 50 grand a year, but if we come up three or four grand short, if you would commit to making up that three or four grand, that would be great, right? You have a little bit mm-hmm. of a safety net. And while I think that would be great, and I certainly would welcome that conversation with somebody, I also think there's something energizing about working without a net. And if you know that you're going to fall and be okay, you're more willing to fall or you're okay with falling. And I, I like that we have to be aggressive all the time. We've been, we've probably been more aggressive this year without playing a game than we have been in years past. And I think it's been, uh, it's been different. I think it's been refreshing and challenging all at the same time. How do we continue to stay relevant? We finished up one event and immediately, what are we doing next? And I think it's, I think it's kind of cool to be at the community's mercy. If you want us here, we're here. And if you don't, I'm going to go do something else. And as long as we can appropriately communicate that, to our supporters and to our community, then I think there's nothing better. I'm super excited to see what happens when we all get out of this, because there's going to be clubs that prosper because of the way that they've developed within the community during these lockdown times. And there's going to be clubs that are going to be forgotten and have taken their, their community for granted, become complacent. I don't know which clubs are going to fall into it, category i hope we're in the former but i am super excited to see the wake-up call that it creates i agree we're all eager to get back and watch live sport and there's nothing better than watching a club a team that you have to work so hard to keep moving forward than when we you know when we get to go watch our guys and they win one nil on saturday night you know we leave there buzzing because it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't ninety minutes of work. In this case, the next time we win one nothing, it's going to be twenty months of work. Probably as emotionally draining as our very first match was, because there was so much lead up to it. And I'm I'm uh, I'm all for it. I can't wait. As soon, you know, as soon as we can do it, I'm. I think all of us, all the staff that has been working very hard, I think we've. I think we're. I think we're going to have a good night that night. Definitely. I'm certainly booking a hotel room. I'll tell you that for nothing. Um, all right. Thank you, John. Be good. Be safe. Be happy. I can't hear you. Now the time has come for leaving. Fear now we shall return. But so sad we gotta run Well it might be a long time Till we raise another glass
can rest assured that next time we'll have ourselves a laugh. Yeah, we'll have ourselves a laugh.